What's happening, everybody? Thanks for tuning in once again to the Carbide Podcast presented by Woody's Traction. Yup, you heard that right. The fine folks at Woody's Traction have jumped on board to help us push this program to new heights. You guys know I love history, and few brands in the snowmobile world carry more heritage than Woody's. After pioneering the world of snowmobile traction over 50 years ago with their revolutionary carbide runners, Woody's has continued to push the envelope and offer superior traction products whether you're on the track or on the trail. I ran them for years on my race sleds, out of my own pocket, so I'm beyond stoked to have them on board. Now, Dick Sweet's guest has one of the cooler stories we've heard on the show thus far. From being mentored by Jack Struthers, battling Blair Morgan for a snowcross championship, all the way to racing Rimshaw hill climbs in the twilight years of his career, Nathan Titus is for sure one of the more raw talent guys we've ever seen in the sport of snowmobiling. Being that his professional career was relatively short, he's often overlooked in these more Mount Rushmore type conversations, but if you go back and watch videos or hear the stories, there were days where this guy could not be touched. I hope you enjoy our discussion. Well, let's move up to the front of the field, and right now it's Nathan Titus taking the early lead. And welcome back, everybody, to the Carbide Podcast, presented by Woody's Traction. Appreciate you guys tuning in, as always. Really special guest on the line tonight. He's a former factory Polaris racer and Yamaha racer. He's a national pro open snowcross champion, and he spent many years with WPS, developing all the products we know and love. He's Nathan Titus. How are we doing, Nathan? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm uh, looking forward to chatting with you. When you when you go through the resume, it's a pretty pretty diverse snowmobile career. So there's going to be a lot to talk about. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Covered most of the bases. Oh man. So you know, starting it back day one, if we can. Where'd you first get introduced to the sport of snowmobiling? So I was born and raised in McCall, Idaho, and we like we we have property out here in the middle of nowhere and my dad actually used to race snowmobiles back in the late 60s um mm-hmm. actually used to race for western power sports when western power was a polaris dealer or distributor mm-hmm. okay. and did some of that kind of stuff and so like it's always been in my life like i grew up skiing my dad was a ski patrolman so we had season passes and there's two ski hills within five miles of my house <clears throat> and then the other thing we did is we always had sleds like we didn't have a lot of money, so they were never new sleds, but we always had snowmobiles and they were parked in the pasture. And I don't even think we had a trailer until I was in junior high. Like we just, I would come home from school and pull the rope and ride till I was stuck. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Like a 73 Colt 295, I think is the first sled I rode. Oh, that's sick. That's sick. <laughs> I was going to ask if it was like, you know, obviously in Idaho these days, everybody's mountain guys, but back then was it? trail guys just hitting the ditches like what was the riding scene like back then well we laugh because like you midwest guys ride the ditch out here we're scared of ditches they usually have water <laughs> in them when you break windshields when you hit ditches i can literally tell you the first time i went to the i-500 and they were talking about riding in the ditch and i'm like why would you ride in the ditch like that seems scary like you're gonna hurt yourself and they're like what do you mean i'm like what like ditches are in fields and there's like you're gonna hit a ditch and wreck and they're like no we ride alongside the road i'm like in the borrow pit why would you ride in the borrow pit where else were you going to ride? I'm like, 
I don't know. We ride like in the mountains. And they're like, oh, we don't have that. We just ride in the borrow pit, the ditch. <laughs> like, oh, okay. So no, like back then, I mean, you have, you have to imagine these are steel cleat tracks. Mm-hmm. We were like, you would try to get off the trails. Like there's groom trails, you know, all over the mountains here. But so you boondocked as much as you could, but you're, I mean, it was, it was a whole different sport. Like, like riding out here, growing up on Midwest trail sleds. Cause that's all there was. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we get five, six feet of snow. So it, it's a it's a different program. <laughs> no horsepower, no traction. Like, you have to just maintain momentum and try to, I mean, you can't explore like we do now by any means, but we did, mm-hmm. we did the best we could. <laughs> well, this is also, this is also kind of some of those, some of those iconic and peak years in, in snowmobile racing, like the, the snow pro years and stuff like that. So I mean, you mentioned your, your father, but when did you first kind of take an interest in, in racing? So like I said, the, we, you know, dad always, dad quit racing before I was old enough to go racing, but there's a McCall snowmobile club here and there's, there was always, and there still is the winter carnival. And mm-hmm. back in the day, winter carnival used to have snowmobile races. And my dad's buddy, Jim Hardy owned the Polaris dealership here in town. And dad was on snowmobile committee club and, and Jim and Gene Hardy and, all that old school crowd all kind of ran the races. So I think mm-hmm. I was nine or 10 and dad's like, you want to race? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Like I've ridden snowmobiles my whole life, but I've never been to, like, you know, I, and I went to the races to watch, but I was finally old enough. They'd let me race. And I remember we didn't have a trailer. We had an old suburban. So we had to take the windshield off and we had a TXL 340, the old red, white, and blue, like the Starfire mm-hmm. colors, the big flat nose mm-hmm. things. Oh so yeah. We, I remember we took that and, I was too young. They wouldn't let me run the liquid. So we had mm-hmm. to come back to the house and load the TX 340. Yep. I could run, a, I could run an air tool, <laughs> but I couldn't run a liquid. Yep. <laughs> and so I think I was, I think I was 10 that year. And I vividly remember it because, you know, they have those old toggle kill switches. Mm-hmm. Yep. Little flipper thing. Like, yep. I mean, you just look at it and it kills the motor. Uh, we didn't know to, <laughs> we didn't know to tape that. So I think I killed ah. it 30 times. <laughs> I almost got lapped on this huge snow cross track. Like I got dead, dead last. Like it would, I'd be riding along. I'd hit my head on the handlebars. It'd die. I'd have to get, you know, catch it before it. Cause I couldn't hardly pull the rope at that age. Yeah. Horrible, horrible experience. But I'm like, oh, this is cool. We'll tape that thing up and do better next time. <laughs> so like, I mean, you kind of mentioned the track, but I picture it like a, like a TT, like if, if you're on leaf spring suspension, like what's the track like? Is it super rough or is it basically just oh, a flat? Oh, it's rougher than crap. Like I don't, I think they really? groomed it once, you know, for the day. And I mean, and you have to imagine like snowmobile racing out West back then was big. Like mm-hmm. Jack Struthers, Kirk Hibbard, you know, Tim Shellhorn, Doug Lasher. Like, you, I mean, there's, it was Toby Ashley. Like they got, like, I mean, I have a great picture of like Kirk's rig parked next to the McCall snowcross track in like, oh, yeah. 80, like 85, <clears throat> you know, and so those guys had run over. So it was just like a huge TT track that they just ran the groomer around, I think once, and then you just make it work. It's the old West Yellowstone kind of thing, like mm-hmm. where, you, you know, the cones kind of kept people in place, but the track was 50, 60 feet wide between the cones because everybody's hunting mm-hmm. for smooth ground. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. In the old gravel pit behind East of McCall. 
So starting there on a on a TX leaf yeah. spring, just getting your ass handed to because the track's <laughs> rough. What's the what's the rest of the amateur career progression like? Like how does it go for you? It's actually really cool, you know. Like I I raced literally once a year in McCall for years. I can't even remember. I think probably that would have been like eighty three, eighty four. Uh, mm-hmm. probably the late eighties, I was in junior high and there was a race in Cascade, which is 30 miles to the South. And there used to be a race like in round Valley. And I mean, they, there used to be little snowcross races all over. And, and I would started going to some of those and it was probably, man, I think I was in high school by the time I first went to like West Yellowstone, which was mm-hmm. the, I mean, the West Yellowstone snowcross, the American snowcross challenge in McCall became one of the biggest races in the West, like it would draw hundreds of competitors. Dennis Dermis used to drive over from Colorado with Felker. Like there was some, like it was the Mecca. And the other one that was that big was West Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was probably late eighties, early nineties. We finally traveled to West Yellowstone and raced like, like an Indy 400 probably in, in West in the semi-pro class or the AM class. And so then I was racing, you know, twice, maybe three times a year until really I didn't, my first big adventure into racing was pretty fun deal because I'd raced enough in McCall that, you know, dad, my dad knew Carl Struthers, which is Carl Cycle Sales, Jack's dad. Mm -hmm. And Jack would be up here racing all the time. And we all knew each other. It's a small, you know, circuit, small group of people. And my dad ran, you know, helped run the races in McCall. Jack raced up here and. And so I think it was 90, it was my senior year in high school. I'd been racing in West Yellowstone, kind of knew everybody. I was a decent semi-pro racer, but we had no money. So I'm just riding. It was my mom's trail sled, basically, is what I'd go race snowcross, because that's all there was back then, right? Like Indy 400. Mm-hmm. I remember we had an 89, Indy 500 was kind of the coolest. A guy had wrecked it, and my dad helped repair it. So we bought it used and a year or two old. Um, so that was kind of the, the coolest sled we had. And then for some reason in 92, Jim Hardy, so it was a 91, 92 year, which was my high school senior year. Um, Jim Hardy got an XCR 440 in McCall. He got a lotted one and I had no idea what to do with it. <laughs> like, <it's, laughs> you know, they're starting to build bigger sleds with, you know, SKSs mm-hmm. were starting to come, you know, there's some stuff coming that's a little more mountainy. And so a, a 440 trail sled was not a big seller in McCall. <laughs> Mm-hmm. and so somehow we ended up with it i'm pretty sure jim made my dad a deal and the arrangement was it was my mom's trail sled but i could use it on these you know two or three race weekends a year perfect race sled mm-hmm. and so uh i'm like cool like this, like this is the coolest sled we'd ever ever had it's the first new sled we'd ever owned and so like i don't remember it's it's wrestling season i'm a i'm a wrestler in high school and and Jack Struthers calls me well before cell phone. So I'm sure it was a voice me- or a you know, message on a freaking yep. tape <laughs> on, the, <laughs> on the answering machine and says, Hey, like, do you want to go race an RMXCRC race? And RMXCRC was the Rocky Mountain Cross Country Series. Okay. And that was, that was the only legit race series out West. You know, there was, a, there was these random snow crosses that each local club put on, but RMXCRC was the deal. Jack raced, Kirk raced it, Rex raced it. Like that's where Kirk and Rex got their start, <clears throat> the Hibbards. 
Um, one of the mm-hmm. races is actually basically in their pasture and the farm over in Driggs. And, and so all these local racers would kind of put a race crap, a track on in their, their hometown. And the RMX ERC series was it. Like if you wanted to race snowmobiles, like the local guys up here raced it. Like everybody kind of just, like everybody that wanted to do anything raced RMX ERC. And so I'm like, yeah, I don't even know what, what to do. Right. Like, so Jack's like, well, Jack raced, there was three man pro teams. So the way it works is you have three guys on a team and, and you can't go through any checkpoint without all three guys. So there was a two man pro class that was kind of not the best riders. Most of the really good riders were in three man team. So Tim Shellhorn, Jack Struthers and Doug Lasher were the three man team. And Doug's brother, Greg, and Scott Kirkus were also in a three-man team, but they could never get a third guy to continue to show up. They were always looking okay. for a, a third rider, like, right? Those two guys went to mm-hmm. all of them, but they were just, you know, would beg people to ride their third guy. And in, I don't know, in I don't, two or three, four years that Tim and Jack and Doug raced together, they'd never been beaten. <clears throat> Nobody beat those guys, ever. Like, not even close. So they call me, and, they, hey, and Jack goes, hey, I heard you got a new XCR. Come come run third guy with these guys. And I'm like, uh, I don't even know what I'm doing. Like, this is scary. Jack's an icon. He'd already won the I-500 at least once by then, mm-hmm. the 91 one. And so I had like this little Jeep Cherokee pickup thing. I had to tell my wrestling coach I was going to miss a duel. He was pissed. I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to do this. Like, I'm going. This is like, this is the coolest thing that's ever happened. Like the coolest opportunity. Like, I got to check this out. Like all the people I know and people I look up to race RMXCRC. Mm-hmm. And so I drive over there and I get there so late. Normally you pre-ride the day before. So you ride the course and then mm-hmm. go to dinner, get up the next morning and go racing. I didn't get there till late Friday night, usually Saturday races. Don't even know what I'm doing. Never been to one. I've only heard of them. <laughs> get up the next day and Greg's like, well, you're going to have to go third wave. And I'm like, what do you mean? And the rules are of RMXERC is you, the first two sleds could be whatever sled you wanted. XLTs, 580ZRs, like anything. It didn't matter. The only mm-hmm. rule is third sled has to be a stock 440. Because ah. you're only as fast <laughs> as your slowest guy, right? Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't, like there was all kinds of crazy stuff. People would race, whatever. So Scott had an XLT, the 580. And Greg was supposed to be riding his 440, which was actually Jack Struthers' leftover I-500 sled but it blew up on the pre-ride. So he, had <laughs> oh, man. To, so he had to borrow his dad's like 488RZ, like SLP used to make these cool mod motors. So mm-hmm. he couldn't ride third wave. He's like, you got to ride third wave. And I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing. What does that mean? And they're like, well, first, all the, all the first guys in the team will line up and they'll leave. And then a couple minutes later, the second guys will line up and then it's a Le Mans start, right? So you run up, pull the rope, take off. Mm-hmm. And then, so the only guys that really matters is the third wave. So you just, the first two guys get to the first checkpoint and they wait. And when you see your third rider, you, you wave, the, 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 basically there's a ref there. And you're like, hey, that's my guy. And then all three guys can leave together. And I'm like, oh, shit. So like, I'm kind of like the anchor. And they're like, don't worry, just follow Jack. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, Jack doesn't get beat to the first checkpoint ever. So just whenever you get going, just follow some guys. <laughs> Jack will be out front. Just follow Jack and when you'll see when he, you know, somebody in front of you is going to get to the checkpoint and you'll just kind of look for us and we'll try to see you and we'll wave at you and just slide in behind us and we keep going. 
oh. And then they're like, you know, the rules are no one ever leave anybody. You never get separated from your teammate because if a guy gets stuck, you're done. So mm-hmm. you always kind of ride within sight of each other and keep track of each other. I'm like, okay, whatever. Never even done it. Never been to the course. And usually it's like 11 or 12 miles to the first checkpoint. And then these races were only like, you know, 60-mile races. We never had fuel stops, but it'd take two, three hours because the holes are five, six feet deep of whoops, holes through the trees, up mm-hmm. the mountains, across the fields, like the coolest racing I've, you've ever done. <laughs> so I pull the rope, I get a good start. Jack Cole shots me and his sled wasn't that fast. So I passed him in the holes and went by him. Mm. And I beat him pretty significantly to the first checkpoint to the point that his two teammates thought I was him. We look same sled, <laughs> same size dudes. They started to leave. I saw them like trying to pull out. I pull in and park, and Greg doesn't even have his goggles on. Mm. He looks at me like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, now what do we do? And he's like, he has to turn around and tell Scott, like he's in front of him, like taps him on the shoulder like, hey, that's our guy. So I'm just sitting there like, <laughs> and Jack's still not there yet. Yep. And uh, they finally figure out what they're doing, and we pull out the same time Tim, Jack, and Doug pull out. Exactly. Like we raced all six of us banging bars through the, the the whoops into the the single track the tree area oh, they got awesome. a, they got ahead of us before we got to the trees and so they beat us they, they get done and they're like uh did jack crash i'm like no i passed him and like you passed him i'm like yeah like i i didn't you're not supposed to like what's i, I just i've had some better lines like i don't know what's up and so they're like can you come back next weekend i'm like no i got a wrestling tournament <laughs> <laughs> so that was the like I caught Jack's attention for sure because nobody ever passed him. So he uh, he was aware of of me. I'm like I said, he's mm-hmm. the one that offered to get me in. So the next year, RMXERC kicked those guys out of the three man team. They made them split up. They're like you guys got. Oh go. really? Two guys got to go in the two man pro class. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to race. So I had graduated and I was gonna take a year off. I didn't really want to go to college. And so Greg, Doug, and I raced three-man, and Tim and Jack raced two-man. And so the cool part was, and I got to race the whole series with those guys, and we never lost a race either. So Tim and Jack really? were two-man pro. But the coolest part of all that is I got to go pre-ride with those guys every week, mm-hmm. every race. And they're kind of the keep-up-or-get-lost kind of tour guides. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> yep. They're not waiting on anybody. So I, my, <laughs> my speed in the whoops was learned from the best dudes on the planet cross-country racing. Like Tim mm-hmm. Schohorn, Doug Lasher, Jack Struthers, like in the deep holes were unbeatable. And I got every weekend, I got to go chase those guys on the pre-ride. And then Jack's always been a seat-of-the-pants tuner, right? <clears throat> so it was trade and sled. We'd ride a while, trade sleds, ride a while, trade sleds, like – and they were all on 440s. We never ran big stuff. And, mm. yeah, I mean, I remember, like, I got a 93. That was the first time I ever, my 92, I finally sent a resume in. I'd raced West Yellowstone, did okay in West on that XCR, you know, top threes and semi-pro class kind of thing. Sent a resume and got on the Polaris B team for 93. So that was the first time I, that was the first and last time I bought a snowmobile. It was 93 B team half price <laughs> i had to borrow money from my grandma because i didn't have any money she's like well i'll just 
give you the $2,500, which is what my sled cost. Mm -hmm. And if this turns into something, you just, you can just not have to worry about paying me that. I'm like, all right. Sweet deal. Sponsored into the deal. And (laughs) so in 93, like that was when I raced with all those guys. And I remember Jack telling me one time we're riding, he rides my sled. He goes, man, have you valved your shocks? And I go, what do you mean? He's like, uh, you should probably bring me your shocks and we should revalve those. I'm like, you can do that? Like, I don't know. What are you, what are you talking about? He's like, bring me your shocks. Pull them off, bring them in the shop. I'll show you how to revalve your shocks. Because, you know, Jack Struthers is the guy that put Fox shocks on snowmobiles, period. Mm-hmm. In in the 80s. He is the guy that got with Fox and fit Fox shocks on snowmobiles, period. He is the only dude. For the first and and Carl Cycles was the exclusive distributor for the first three or four XERs and ZRs. Every Fox mm-hmm. shock sold to Articat or Polaris went through Carl Cycles because of Jack. Until mm-hmm. Fox and the OEMs bypassed Carl's and just bought them direct from Fox. But so Jack's the guy. Like he's the tuner. He like that was. So I got to literally go sit in the shop and learn how to valve shocks with Jack Struthers. So yeah, that kind of got me in the RMXCR world, and then you know, a couple of years, the next year I think they went and raced the I five hundred, and I couldn't afford to go, so I went and wrenched for Doug Lasher just to go check it out out of Sault Ste. Marie, raced RMXCRC again. We won on like all of them, um, and then I think the next year I got to go race the I five hundred. Okay. Well, I'm trying to remember because I think the first. My first real shot at the Midwest, like just from going from West Yellowstone and RMXERC and whatever, was the year after. I mean, working up here, I tried to go to college, didn't have any money. Um, and Jack calls me and he goes, uh, you want to go to Spirit Mountain, Duluth? And I'm like, uh, yeah, but I don't have any money. <laughs> this is like 94. What year sled was that? I think it was a white one. 94, I think. So 93, 94 season, probably right there. No, those were red sleds. I think it was, I can't remember. It's a long time ago, 30 years ago. <laughs> but Jack calls me and I was driving truck up here for my buddy Lance and it's snowed. It's, you know, it's almost Thanksgiving. He's like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to Duluth to race this big spirit mountain race. It was the second year, I think of spirit mountain. Mm-hmm. He's like, you want to go? And I'm like, well, I have no money. So I have a sled, like I was on B team or A team by then. I think it was A team, so I had a couple sleds, but I couldn't afford to go to Spirit. He's like, let me put it this way. I'm going to Duluth. I have three sleds in a trailer. My trailer fits four, and I need some help driving. So if you'll pay mm. your expenses, like your own entry fees and your own food, he's like, I'm paying for gas. I'm paying for hotels. The truck and trailer's going. I could use some help. And he's like, I thought of you because you could race and help me get there. <laughs> Done. Like, Say no it's, more. <laughs> it's snowing in McCall. I'm pretty sure the trucking season's over. So, yeah, we're done here. I'm parked for the winter. Like, yeah. So I haul ass to Boise. Like, literally, that was the week before. I think that was the week before Thanksgiving. Mm. Go throw my one sled in the Wells Cargo behind the Astro van because that's all Jack of the Grove was the old GMC Astros. <laughs> <laughs> and the you know the low deck bang your head on the the ramp door oh yeah wells cargo yeah so we load that yep. thing up and head for rozo 
never been to Rozo, but that was when Jack was doing a lot of R and D development for Polaris. So mm-hmm. he's a he's a contractor with Polaris. So we go to Rozo. We get to Rozo at like one AM. Standard Jack Shutter's event. We leave at midnight out of Boise because it took us that long to get done with work and then load. <laughs> so we get to Rozo mm-hmm. at like one o'clock in the in the morning. He has to go to the factory and I can't even get in the door, right? Because I don't have a card. He's mm-hmm. like, I'll come get you after lunch and we're gonna do some testing. This guy named Steve Hool is gonna come do some testing with us. I'm like, I've heard that name, but I don't know the guy. Mm-hmm. So after Jack gets done with his stuff, we go out behind Polaris and there's, you know, three or four inches of snow on the ground on the frozen tundra. And we meet this guy named Steve Hool who's got these new helixes he's been working on. <laughs> well, hot seat performance was born. Mm-hmm. So we tested out there and, and it was crazy because all we ever did out here racing, Jack's still this way. It's all drag racing. There's no dinos. Mm-hmm. And so we would always get, you know, five or six, me, Doug, Jack, Greg, all of us would get five, six, seven, four forties. And we just go break them in and then drag race. <clears throat> and one sled would always be faster, always. And so there's the new baseline, right? So then you just try to beat that sled until everybody's sleds are faster. And then that was just the, the way we did all our testing. And when we got to Rozo, my sled was faster than Jack's by, you know, a ski lane. Well, he goes over and he knows this Steve Hool guy and they're doing all this work. Steve starts doing some clutching for Jack and he is yarding me like <laughs> unbelievable. And I'm a no-name semi-pro. Like Steve doesn't even know who I am. Mm-hmm. And his sled is now like one sled length, two length, just hole shotting the crap out of him. And I'm like, uh, I'm screwed. So I assume that this is what everybody's running, right? Like this is Midwest stuff. Like this is what everybody's got. We get done testing. We're loading up. And I'm like, Jack, I don't even want to go. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, if everybody's sled's going to run like yours, like I'm screwed. Like there's no reason to go snow crossing with, like you've got a sled length on me out of the hole in two by the turn one. He's like, well, let's go see if Steve will get you set up. I'm like, dude, I have no money. And he goes, better learn how to do some sponsorship negotiation. Go and talk to him. I don't know if you've met. I don't know if you've met Steve Hool. Not the friend. Not the friendliest looking dude. Giant. Giant of a guy. He's a big dude, right? And he's always got a grumpy face. The nicest guy on the planet, but he's not. He's a little intimidating to go meet. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I walk over. I'm this no namer. I'm like, hey, like, obviously your stuff's kicking my ass. Like. I would love to run your stuff, but I, I'm the, the poor kid that's helping Jack drive here. And he's like, well, I'll make you a deal. You run my sticker front and center on your windshield. I'll get you set up with the same stuff he has. If it works out, you can keep it. If not, just give it back to me at the end of the weekend. Like, all right. Like that's smoking deal, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Did you ever go to spirit back in those days, early nineties? No, I've seen pictures, but yeah, it was before my time. But was it was it basically like an aggressive cross country course at that point no, in time? Bullring, but oh, okay. The first year I was there, I think there was twelve hundred entrants. It would oh, start really? At seven in the morning and run till two a.m. Back at seven the next morning, two a.m. My four forty, so my semi pro four forty class had a hundred and twenty riders in that <laughs> class. Oh my god in that class at spirit so that you know it was after those those the first two or three years it was that way and i mean it was such mayhem people would miss their races because they couldn't get through the pits there were so many sleds 
Mm-hmm. I've seen fist fights in the pits. They've cut down a ton of trees up there to try to make the aisle better. Like it's totally different now than it used to be. But there was this one lane path to get sleds in and out up to the from the pits up to the, the top of the hill. Literally people throwing sleds on their hoods to get them out of the way to get through to not miss the race. Like total, total chaos. And that's why they started doing later, you know, limited number of entries. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not even close. But yeah, I think there was 12, 1,100, 1,200 riders entrance each year so i sign up with 120 guys in my class and so qualifying was like you get first or second or you're done like there Mm -hmm. was no so my hot seat performance clutch snowmobile didn't lose a race that weekend nice i won every qualifier all my heats and the main and so jack was running the pro class and had there's there was four 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 pro classes back then there was 440 there was 440 x there was 600 and then mod and so i think Mm -hmm. he went two and two with kirk to each one too Mm -hmm. so we get done and i'm like that was the fattest paycheck i'd ever seen because it's you know payback with 120 riders i think i Mm -hmm. made like 1500 dollars just in payback (laughs) i'm like screw screw work like this is cool Mm-hmm. So I made my money back and I was ahead. There was some Polaris money on top of that. Yeah. So Ray Monstrad was the race director back then. He's like, because Jack went two and two. I won semi-pro class. He's like, he comes up to us after the race. And he's like, hey, can you guys, you guys think you can uh, stay till till Quadna next weekend? And Jack's like, well, you know, he was a service manager at Carl's for his dad. I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm unemployed. I can stay. <laughs> I, just, I just made more money than I've made in the last two years, probably. Um, and so he's like, well, i got to call my dad and check. And so he calls Carl. Carl's like, yeah, it's cool, whatever. So we stayed at a friend's house cause, just because that's the way it was. We ended up staying mm-hmm. at, I think it was Rusty Eichhorn's house with Kirk Hibbert and Steve Houle in the same house. And so I remember driving down there. And by this time, you know, Jack's, Jack is the guy in Polaris. Kirk is the, the cat guy. Jack is the Polaris mm-hmm. guy. And it was crazy, you know, before all these apparel companies came out, everybody had their colors, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the stands were green, red, and yellow. <laughs> like I've seen fist fights with the wrong colored coats on at races. And so <laughs> we're headed to Quadner and Jack's like, you got to ride more classes. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if you noticed, but I have a 440 in the trailer. That's it. He's like, no, no, you should, you need to ride my sled. And I'm like, absolutely not. He's like, <laughs> why wouldn't you ride my sled? I'm like, dude, if I wrecked your sled, they would lynch me in the parking lot. Like they would hang me. The Polaris crowd would literally drag me out, drawn and quartered. Who's this punk kid taking Jack out of the, you know, out of the game. And he's like, no, no, I think you're, I think you're, I think you're, you should just ride my 600 and my mod sled. And I'm like, 600, maybe mod sled. No way. So he hammered me, hammered me. We're at sign up and he made me sign up to ride 600 and open. And I'm like, I'm more stressed on his snowmobiles so that I didn't get killed by the players crowd. If he got taken out, cause I wrecked his stuff. Then I am about mm-hmm. the races. Like it's, I mean, these guys are serious. Jack is a God and I'm a nobody. So anyway, yeah, I think there was only like 95, 440 guys that weekend. It's a small race. <laughs> The races back then were not that that era. So yeah, I won all my classes that weekend too. So I was undefeated. Oof. Jack, I think Jack had three firsts and a second 
and I had all three firsts. And we're sitting back at Ray's condo, and and he's like, "Well, you guys think you can spend some more time in the Midwest?" And we're like, "No, we got to go back to RMXERC, and we got to get back to work and see you guys in the Midwest. That was fun. <laughs> we'll take your money and go home." And we're leaving, <laughs> and I'm like, I remember driving home. It's only 24 hours, right, from there to Boise. Mm. I'm like, hey, you think they'll let me run semi-pro last next year? And he's like, no, I think you're done. <laughs> Pretty sure you're done. <laughs> you're done in the semi-pro class. <laughs> so, yeah, that's how I got. I never – I bought the one sled on a B-team program, and that's the last time I bought a snowmobile. It's it's funny because it's like the, the whole snowcross side of your career is almost like a fluke. Like what, yeah. what could have totally. happened? Like if we, if we look at this whole thing, if you'd never just get that call from Jack, like, Hey, I'm going to Duluth. Do you want to go? Yeah. Changed everything. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it would, you know, the announcers Kramer and those guys, like Jack was my mentor for years. Like that's what he called me. Like I'm the Jack Struthers protege. And I, I mean, literally he is the reason I have a job. He taught me, like I said, we'd be in the trailer valving shocks. I learned how to valve my own stuff, worked on shocks. And Jack was always the guy that he's like, I might not have the most talent or be in the best shape, but I will have the best prepared equipment on the track. That's his mm -hmm. deal. Best motors, best clutching, best valving and suspensions, everything for people that know, you know, how to go fast. And Jack was the God of shock valving. So mm -hmm. I learned how to make my stuff work from him and, you know, and then, like, I think it was that year, yeah, the year I raced semi-pro. So I'd never raced, like, closed course. I went and raced the I-500 that year. And and I think that was 95, 96. Mm -hmm. And same thing, like, I was stressed. I remember I get to Winnipeg, and it's $500 entry fees back then. And there's no classes. Oh, God. Right? Like, there's no classes. <laughs> you sign up, mm -hmm. you race with the boys. Mm -hmm. I remember we're in Winnipeg and I'd never ridden back there. Like I'd been to Rosa that one test and then just raced snowcross and went home. Like I'd never ridden the ditch. Yeah. And I remember sitting in Winnipeg talking to these guys and they're like, they're like, uh, yeah, do you ride much? I'm like, yeah, we get, you know, eight or 900 miles a year on. And they're like, a year? And I'm like, yeah, that's a lot of work. And they're like, we get like three or 4,000. And mm -hmm. I'm like, oh shit. Like, how do we, what, how do you do that? And so then these guys were telling me they did 300 miles last weekend and I'm looking at these guys and they're not what I would call fit. And I'm like, <laughs> how? Like I've never done, I haven't done 300 miles in a week. And I remember we get to the, we're at that big banquet for the I-500, the start of the race. And I, you know, I'd been, I'd helped wrench for Doug and those guys, but I never saw the course. And I remember the first day was like 176 miles and I'm like, I'm screwed. I can't do that. Like I've never ridden 176 miles in a weekend. I'm like, whatever. So I sign up. I'm pretty far back. Cause back then we used to draw these little, the, uh, the, uh, like Powerball balls, like mm -hmm. bingo, bingo lottery. And that was your number. And that was just your wave. Like you draw like a 30, your 30th wave tomorrow. Three guys in a three guys on wave, your thirtieth wave off the line, two minutes apart. And then the next day you just flip flop waves and then third day you race the time. And I'm like, I'm deep in the pack, thirtieth wave or something. You know I have a ton of people in front of me, hundred and seventy six miles. I'm like, there's no way I'm gonna make it. 
I get done. I was surprised to see a checkered flag because I hadn't gotten tired or broke a sweat yet. And I'm like, that was it? Like two gas stops? I've never done that gas stop. I'm like, dude, I'm screwed. I never broke a sweat. I'm not tired. I, I must have sucked. So I remember mm-hmm. going to the bank with that night. <laughs> and I was already stressed because that 500 bucks was more than I could really afford. But again, I rode back there with Tim and Jack and Doug. And, you know, that was their trucks and trailers. And I just, <clears throat> you know, helped get there paid my way mm-hmm. and so they announced fast time of the day and i won fast time of the day day one of my first ever i-500 that paid oh, 500 man. bucks and i'm like i'm even <laughs> and i'm like i made my <laughs> 500 bucks back yep. <laughs> like i was more excited about that than being fast time of the day so i beat kirk doug jack brad Pake. like i was the fastest guy there that day and so i'm like mm-hmm. well that was a fluke that's weird must i must have done something wrong so day two, you know, inverse order. I went out and won fast time of the day, day two. So I'm leading mm. into the third day. And that year was a four-day race. There was two more days left. And so I'm lead rider on day three. And I broke a Heim joint about Ooh. halfway through the day. <clears throat> got to tie down, tied the skis together and finished like 40th for the day. So I went from first to 40th and then day four, I rode back up to like 19th or 20th, I think for the past 20 dudes on the final day. That was pretty cool. But yeah, like crazy different, just a different world. So that was kind of the start. That was like the first time I'd raced against the pros, mm-hmm. like head to head, but still not closed course. I'd still never done any pro pro closed course racing to that point. Is that, uh, is that where your hatred of the ditches started too? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like just I can never figure it out. Like why do people do that? <laughs> like, yeah, it, I mean it's it's entertaining. There was some fun stuff out in Winnipeg through the trees and just just how big your huevos over, you know, on, on road mm-hmm. approaches, like how oh, yeah. how willing to leave it on are you? How you know, and and probably the most crazy thing back then, I wasn't used to snow dust at all. Like, you okay. didn't get much out here. Mm-hmm. And definitely not in big, deep hole cross countries. There's no snow dust. You're doing, you know, you're paying, but you're doing 20 miles an hour land speed. Mm-hmm. So there's not snow dust. So riding, you know, I remember radar guns. We'd run 91, 92 miles an hour on the radar. And you just have your hand wrapped around that thing and couldn't see through your goggles. Just going, this just seems really dumb. Like, why am I doing 90 in the ditch and I can't see my ski tips? Just... Yeah, <laughs> that was probably the hardest thing to get used to. We nicknamed oh, yeah. that riding by Braille. <laughs> I like that. I yeah, like that. Nuts. Like even thinking about it today is like how and why. Like you couldn't, you know, I was always wondered why they had the orange helmet rule until I raced like the I-500. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When you, when you look at the origins of that rule, it does actually yeah. make sense. The, these days it seems kind of irrelevant, but at one point in time that was crucial. Well, on the, even today, ice racing, Le Mans racing, anything that's high speed with snow mm-hmm. dust, you can't see a taillight, but you can see an orange helmet. Snowcross mm-hmm. is the dumbest thing ever. I've, I fought that rule from the day I raced national snowcross. Like, I'm like, if I'm worried about an orange helmet on a 100-foot double, like, we should probably park these. Like, I can see the <laughs> rider. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but cross-country racing, unbelievable. Like, how cool the orange will glow through the helmet. And that was probably the scariest thing. So you could see the helmet. You'd catch a guy, and you knew where he was, but in order to pass him, you had to move over. 
Mm-hmm. And that was the, I remember one year, Skidoo, this was like when Skidoo first made their MXCs and they wanted to be in the 500 and have like a, this is like 94, 95. And so they paid everybody. They said, Skidoo did a deal and said, if you finish the 500 on an MXV, we'll pay your entry fee back. Mm. So if you $500 entry fee, you finish the race, you get your 500 bucks back. Everybody, mm. like so many people that probably shouldn't have been on the course, were like, I'm just going to go trail ride this and say I did it and get my 500 bucks back. Well, <laughs> we're doing 90 in the ditch, and these dudes are doing 40 or 50. Mm, yep. I remember being in the and snow they're pro- dust. They're probably in the main line too. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So I remember like like on somebody's bumper, because I can see their helmet, right, and you catch them, and you're doing 80, 90, and like – you know, I know I'm faster than the guy in front of me, but I, I got to figure out when I'm brave enough to move over and pass him. And I remember looking over and seeing like sleds go by like, oh, that was a snowmobile. Like that was somebody, we just passed a dude 40 miles an hour closing rate, 50 miles an hour, dude trail riding on the racetrack to get his 500 bucks. Never saw him. Like you just see a flash of him out of the corner of your eye. Like, oh my God, if I would have moved over, mm-hmm. I'd have cleaned that guy. And so obviously since then they've, they've split it up in classes but back Mm -hmm. then there was no classes just you sign up you race so scary like that was probably one of the scariest things just those guys cruising along at you know 50 60 miles an hour on the racetrack and we're doing 90 100 and no idea they're there because you can't see them in the snow dust (laughs) so so through these years i mean you obviously race in the i-500 race some still racing some cross country racing snow cross when you can when do you basically fully go in on on racing in the midwest so the 94 so mrp was had started building a pretty decent like series in the midwest and it was pretty much Mm -hmm. local minnesota stuff duluth spirit mountain a few of those like troll hog and some of those old school snow cross tracks and so they decided to do a six race national series so that would have been 94 95 i think Mm -hmm. and so i had was going back to i was at college in in boise and was working at carl's i was a service rider for jack and we decided to go race the series the first mrp national series so i was working full-time at carl's part-time school part-time we had a guy in the Midwest that was had help was helping Jack out. Would park the truck and trailer there, and we were flying back and forth. And we did these Vermont, these like five or six races. Mm-hmm. And so, I raced pro class that year. Under with Jack, against Jack. Okay. Jack Kirk. So that would have been God, so ninety six ninety seven was ninety five ninety six. I think would have been the first like. Man, I'm going to have to go look. Now you got me. 94, 95. <laughs> so 96, 97 I got was when my, I raced for Polaris, the factory team. The year before that mm-hmm. was Jack and I. So that was the first year okay. of the series. That was like a six-race national, they called it. We raced like West Yellowstone, Duluth, Quadna, Mount Snow, Vermont, I think, or one of those out in Vermont. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that was that – was, that was when I kind of committed to that. And then the next year, 
I was trying to decide whether I could go back to college because I was pretty broke. And Polaris called and offered to hire me to race snowmobiles. And I'm like, mm, broke college student or paid paid snowmobile <laughs> racing? So that was the 96 yeah. year. Was the first year I was paid to go ride. 96, gotcha. 97. Okay. Okay. And that was, so that was Polaris factory program at that time. Yeah. And that was the first paid Polaris riders since the midnight blue express in the seventies. Really? Yeah. Me, David Brown, Greg Hyde and Corey Davidson. Okay. Okay. So you must've, did, did you like just get an apartment or did you move out like full time to Minnesota? Yeah. Me and Dave Brown got an apartment in Roseau for the winter. <laughs> Oh, brutal. Brutal. <laughs> Welcome to Roseau. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. But yeah, the first closed course I ever raced was like a year or two before that. Did you ever hear of the uh, Canterbury Super Enduros? I've seen some videos. That's just ridiculous. Coolest thing ever. Coolest <laughs> thing ever. Two hours plus two laps on 440. Mm-hmm. So that was the first time I'd ever raced closed course against like the pro riders we lined up 40 40 pros started the the main event the first one they only did it twice they did the first year was only 440s two-hour main event the next year they allowed all the classes 440 600 and mods (laughs) down the back stretch that was dumb but that was a one-hour main event okay yeah two hours plus two laps that's the one that that tony hiking and sled is destroyed and jack's catching him if you've yep. seen that video, yep. I've seen that video. I was in third when I broke my chain. Oh, really? Yeah, I started in the third row. Past, I remember catching great. Like I remember catching Steve Hool, following him around. Like that's Steve Hool, and then I'm like, he's not that fast. And I, I remember catching Kirk Hibbard, and I passed him, but he could outbreak me on the backstretch. He passed me every time into the breaking zone. Then I passed him in the bumps, like five laps in a row. Finally, I just blocked him into the breaking zone and then left him i got the third when i blew a chain about hour and a half in oh brutal yeah that sucks yeah i've i've seen some seen some videos of of that race and it's it's interesting because it's more yeah it's a it's a test of man but it's it's more like a test of the sled like it's there's a lot there for that too oh yeah and we didn't know how to set up so you know from turn one to turn four was ice and they had some mm-hmm. hay bales and some chicanes, but it was ice. So you had to like, you wanted to go, you know, suck the sled down. But then the front was whooped, like beat up. Mm-hmm. And so you needed some travel. So we all did this like mid-travel setup, pulled like an inch out of the shocks to try to get them through the corners, but still have mm-hmm. enough to get through the whoops. That was a cool race. Stands were full. Like that place was nuts. So... You ride factory Polaris for a couple years, and then I kind of want to switch into yeah. a big, a bigger part of your career because you know, like you had mentioned, you've basically been on Polaris your entire life up to this point. But there's some really iconic Nathan Titus moments with factory <laughs> Yamaha. So how did the how did the Yamaha opportunity come about? Well, the crazy thing is, so I won the title. I think you know we rode four forty six hundred and open in ninety seven. I was top. I think five in all three classes, one the, the open class. I think I was third in the 440 class, something like that. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> so I'm like, I'm out to negotiate a better deal. Like, I'm like, sure. I mean, I, they paid me a little bit that year, but not much. And so I go to Polaris to renegotiate and they had no money. 
I can't remember mm. what the story was, but Plaris was going through some restructuring and re redoing their deal. And they offered me like not even a third of what I'd had the year before. And I'm mm. like, I have no money. I call, I remember I called Jack. I'm like, Jack, dude, I can't, I can't do this. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, they've offered me nothing. He's like, I'll make some calls. And like, like I said, Jack's a contractor for players. He's, he actually is employed by them at this time. And he calls me back. He's like, he goes, dude, their budget's junk. Like, what Mm -hmm. do you need? And I'm like, two or three times what they got. Like, I'm, I'm a broke kid. Like that one year of racing and the title paid me, you know, 10 grand or something. It's not going to cover like mod sleds and travel and, and I'm like, uh, I'm like, dude, Yamaha has offered me a deal. And he's like, no way. And he's diehard players guy, right? I'm like, yeah. I, I either I either take the Yamaha deal or I don't race snowmobiles for 98, 99 season, or 97, 98 season. Oh, man, like really? And I'm like, it's late in the year. Like I can't go get sponsors to cover this. So, and Yamaha, Yamaha had offered me actually more than my players deal mm. to, to move to Yamaha. But I didn't want to because they didn't have a 440, right? Mm-hmm. but I was over a barrel. Like it was either take the Yamaha deal or, or not go racing. So I moved to Yamaha for 97, 98 season with Chris Vincent. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Had you, I mean, diehard players guy, you ever actually ridden a Yamaha before showing up for, for testing? No, I had to do well. <laughs> take that back. A guy I know up here had a phaser and he wanted to ride my yeah. XCR. <laughs> he wanted to ride my XCR. I had like a, it was like a 94 when I was racing full time and I was blasting those whoops on my, on my 440 and the thing just skims the top, you know how they did. Mm-hmm. And his phaser couldn't even get through there. And so he wanted to ride it and I'm like, all right. So he jumps off his phaser and jumps on my 440. So I'm like, I got to at least ride this thing, right? Like I've never even sat on one that I can think of. And I tried to ride through the whoops and I was like, no way. Like this isn't even possible. <laughs> Like, this is the dumbest thing. I'm like, this is the stupidest thing. So he's laughing. He's like making laps on like 440. And I'm like, get off, get off. Like, I don't even want to get, no. It's like this brand new phase where this kid had a lot of money. And I'm like, no, no. So I made it, I don't know, five minutes on that thing. So signing the deal was scary. Mm-hmm. Like I knew they had the new trailing arm, you know, that the SRX chassis wasn't the phaser chassis, but mm-hmm. I, I still wasn't impressed, but it was, it was an opportunity to go racing instead of sitting on the couch. So yeah, I signed a Yamaha deal and moved to Coon Rapids, Minnesota for the winter. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, this was, it was all based out of, out of here then. That's where the race program was based out of at that time. Yeah. Coon Rapids was the Yamaha Midwest facility, the Minnesota facility. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yep. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, well, what can you, what can you remember from, from those first couple of days on the sled, like were you were you impressed or were you still kind of like, eh, yeah. this is this is not, no. <laughs> it was going to be a long season. We had a lot of work to do. <laughs> the cool part was that they were motivated, right? Like they, Yamaha was in. They they had signed up with a semi. They were using they were using the superbike, the AMA superbike semi. So when the the sport oh, really? bike season was over, they'd empty the trailer of all the cool parts and we'd load it with a bunch of steel. Like they take all the titanium and cool stuff out for AMA superbikes, and we'd load our junk OEM nine pound bolts in the tray. <laughs> and just the truck driver would laugh. Like he's like, you guys, this is a joke. But we had Olin suspension. We had some really good techs. Um, we had some good suspension guys, Bruce and, and they were willing 
to like listen and learn and and try to make the sled better so that part was fun like i've always really enjoyed development and like mm-hmm. and and have a good seat feel so i can i can give a good feedback to a mechanic and so that part i mean it sucked to go from being you know the the red rockets were the the cat's meow in the 90s late Mm -hmm. 90s so to go from that to to the srx chassis was painful but it was a good it was a good move for me because the first year our mod sleds my 97 98 season the mod sleds were kind of a a tweaked on stalker nothing really Mm -hmm. not much you know good motor i mean that 760 motor was cool the three cylinder 700s but but uh chassis wise they were pretty crappy but the next year we had that new monoshock and yamaha actually came out here they we tested in my pasture 100 yards from where i'm sitting right now in the fall to try to work on that thing they drove to mccall idaho with the truck and trailer and we tested in my yard my dad took the tractor and pushed a snowcross track in the pasture and we tested that fall early late october before duluth and the thing was thing was weird that monoshock but once we figured out how to make it work it was pretty cool so i went from you know basically the backup rider for chris he was kind of the premier rider then he moved on to the amzel team and i was mm-hmm. the lead dog the next year and chris and i didn't have the same setup by any means so once we got to kind of work on my setups i got the sled to work more to my liking mm-hmm. and that was the year i I think that was the year, yeah, that was the year Doug Henry decided to race snowcross. So he was my teammate. Shabitsky mm-hmm. was my teammate. And I was leading the pro open points for most of the year, basically till Vermont or New York. And then I was ahead of Blair. And we went to we went to Lake Geneva with six points between us. Mm. Yeah. Whoever won Geneva won the title that year, period. So you were, you were close. Like you were, you were knocking, like you, you almost had it. Carl Shabitsky cost me the title. Oh yeah. Yeah. I got to give him crap all the time because he broke his leg. He broke his ankle in Sault Ste. or in uh, Valcour. Mm -hmm. And when he broke his leg, I was in second chasing Chris and Blair was in like 12th. Mm -hmm. And the red flag restart, Blair just took the outside line. Everybody else slammed up on the inside and Blair went from like 10th or 12th to second or third mm. and gave so I had I got hung up behind Chris and Blair ended up like right behind me or right in front of me and so that like I was extending my points lead and I think I lost points I think he passed me and put like two points so instead of getting like you know 10 points on him I gave him two points mm. So that was a huge one. So I give Shibitsky crap about that once in a while. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny you talk about kind of some of the struggles. Like I, I texted I texted Greg Marrier from from Yamaha asking <laughs> if he had any cool t- any cool Titus stories, and he he mentioned that mono shock and how that was it was really sweet in the rough, <laughs> but but when you when you left off the throttle, it had no idea what it was doing. Like oh, it eject! Was, yeah, it was an, yeah. <laughs> it was an instant eject button. I had to learn how to ride that thing with, with literally squeezing the brake and the throttle on. So I couldn't, you couldn't just mm. chop the throttle. You'd have to like, like you want to slow down. You'd leave the throttle on and roll the brake on to try to 
like mm-hmm. scrub some speed. Because if you just chop the throttle, the skid would become rigid and it would literally send you. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> the coolest story I have on that monoshock. So there used to always be like a preseason race. You know, snowcross used to be so much bigger than it is now. There were snowcross races everywhere. And mm-hmm. so like Sault Ste. Marie would try to have a race before Duluth. Anybody that could get snow or have a ski hill that could make make snow. Thunder Bay, those races, they'd try to get a race in the weekend before uh, Duluth. And so mm-hmm. I remember we were we had rented Sioux, like the Sault Ste. Marie, whatever the ski hill over there, Search Mon or whatever it's called. <laughs> We were up there testing. They couldn't make enough snow to have a race. So we found out like from there that Thunder Bay was going to do a race. They had enough snow to make a race. So we loaded the semi and this is when Doug was first racing with us. I just met Doug Henry. We load the semi and head for, for Thunder Bay, I think. And everybody's there. Blair, Tony. I think Tony was there. Like most of the big players were there to try to get a, you know, a shakedown race before Duluth, before the season starts, before points start getting mm-hmm. tallied. And I remember there was this big uphill, like, whoop section, rhythm section, three-foot moguls, <clears throat> basically like super croc whoops. And Blair was in front of me, and I couldn't figure out, he's doing the standard Blair Morgan rhythm thing, like double, double, double through this uphill rhythm section. And I didn't know what this rear suspension would really do. I had no idea. <laughs> and so... I was kind of banging through it and trying to figure this double rhythm thing out, this Blair Morgan thing. And I'm like, that's not really my style. So a few laps in, I just decided to see if it would eat those bumps. So like three or four from the end, I just cobbed it. The thing got on top and just skimmed the top. And I'm like, oh, it'll do that. So the next lap, I'm like, I'll add one more whip to it. And there was probably 10 or 15. Like it was a pretty long section. So I remember the last lap, like there was this big tabletop this little U-turn thing that kind of looked back at the tabletop and then a right-hander up this whoop section. And Blair and I made what I can, eye contact. He doubled, turned the corner as I was doing the tabletop and he kind of looked at me. So he knew how much gap of I, you know, he had on me and he had plenty. Mm-hmm. There was no way I was going to catch it. So at the bottom, the right-hander had in the whoop section. I just mashed it. I'm like, I think this thing will stay on top. So he's doing his little slow, like double, double, double. And I just, cobbed it and that thing got on top and i remember literally like three whoops from the end going oh shit i'm gonna run into him like i'm gonna hit him like i knew i couldn't get out of the throttle because i'm Mm -hmm. gonna die but i'm catching him so fast i'm like get out of the way get out of the way so he (laughs) slides in the next corner and i bumpered him like slammed into the rear bumper like my front bumper i mean it wasn't a t-bone but i hit him in the back hard Mm-hmm. And I can still to this day see him look over at me like his eyes were so big because he knew how much time he had on me. Like, no way he's catching me. And here I am. And then, you know, he beat me, but I was like, oh, my gosh, I can go through whoops like that. And so then it was then it was just figure out where that thing would work. It wasn't a rhythm sled. <laughs> there was no, like, Blair Morgan timing. But <laughs> if the bumps were under four foot, masher. Mm-hmm. Just oh, yeah. hit him. Just hit them. I mean, that shock would work, but don't lift. Do not slow down. <laughs> if you don't leave it right to the bar, you're in trouble. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was the first experience. So then that season was a battle. Like, like I I pulled a points lead on him. I was ahead of him 
gave him a bunch back in, in Valcour. And then I, I think I was top three every race, but two that year on the podium. And I crashed. We had a rain race, Fulton, Fulton County, Fulton Speedway in New York. We raced there one year, pouring mm. rain, pouring mm. rain all day, just slop. Everything was wet. I landed kind of crossed, hand slid off the bars. And I think I got six that race. That was my worst finish of the year. So, yeah. And then even Lake Geneva, it was whoever won. And I can, I mean, he whole shot at me. He beat me up the hill. I'm like, well, there's my title. Mm. I could beat yeah, so him that's... if I got ahead of him. But I, once, once Blair didn't like visibility issues. And I didn't mind visibility mm. issues. But if he could see, he was untouchable. But if he mm. could get him tangled up in the pack to where he couldn't, you know, just pick his own lines, then he was beatable. But he all shot at me, and I'm like, well, that's not going to happen. Attention snowmobile racers. When it comes to dominating the track, trust the experts at Woody's Traction and Control. Their cutting-edge products are engineered for peak performance, providing unmatched grip and control in every turn. Don't let the competition catch up. Upgrade your sled with Woody's Traction and Control products today. Visit www.woodystraction.com and experience the winning difference. Woody's Traction and Control where precision meets victory on the snow. So, I mean, you race snowcross, at least on the, the national circuit, for only a couple more years. Like, in the grand scheme, it's a it's a pretty short snowcross career before you kind of hang it up. But what are some of the major highlights for some of those Yamaha years, obviously aside from that potential championship run, but then also the next couple of years back on Polaris? Well, the horrible thing with Yamaha is the next year – was you know we went to Duluth the sled was better I was in better shape I had a trainer for the summer I was hunting Blair like I'm like this guy's beatable like like I knew I could run with Blair uh I knew this the sled was so much better than we'd had even the year before when I was competitive and so going into Duluth um I remember vividly qualifying was really weird they were doing some some weird starts and I ended up back row in the pro open final but Blair didn't make the final. Mm. I remember like Blair is standing in the infield for the pro open final. And all I could think was, I know I've got a shitty starting spot. Like I'm in the back row, but this sled works in these bumps and I've got time to move through the pack and whatever points I put on, I'm putting points on him. Like I, mm-hmm. like I remember this so clear. And so back row start, I rode up to third. I'm sitting in third place. I was picking guys off you know, one or two guys a lap thing was working. I was feeling good in the flow. Like one of the coolest races I can remember looked over and saw the white flag. When we did that big downhill double thing right in front of the stands, the finish line Mm -hmm. was right there in front of the stands. And it was a night race. So lighting was pretty crappy. And I looked over, saw the white flag. And all I could think was, damn it. I don't think I can get second. Like I don't have time. Mm -hmm. And then I was going over the handlebars. Oh, I was headed over the bars and as I'm going over the bars, like I'm like down in the flats where the finish line was at and I've got my tether collected and I'm go to stand up when I stand up on my left leg and my right leg doesn't work. And I try to stand up again and then I fall down and scream like a little baby. Uh, I had folded my knee backwards. Oh, season's over. That was it. Ugh. That was a season ender. So, yeah, I laid there. Joe Duncan will still tell the story because he was, you know, he owned WSA, ran WSA. 
-hmm. he was standing at the finish line and my sled had passed me. So it's coming around for a checkered flag, you know, 13 sleds in a hurry. I'm on the finish. Like I'm laying literally on the finish line. So the only flagger is the guy way at the top of the hill and then the checkered flag flying a yellow with the checkered. So he runs on the track and he's standing uphill from me just try to you know wave people off so they can see me mm -hmm. and the only thing i can get a hold of is the back of his foot his boot and he'll he'll tell you that i bruised his heel i was like i the only thing i could squeeze was his foot mm -hmm. just my it hurt like literally so bad i i was just gripping his leg the back of his his heel of his boot and he's like dude i think you bruised my foot <laughs> <laughs> but i was just laying there screaming my leg was dislocated my knee had gone backwards so then it was a full repair, you know, MCL, LCL, PCL, IT band, all cadaver. One year recovery, that year's over. And during the off season, Jack and Polaris talked me back into Polaris. Mm. It was the end of my Yamaha contract. They offered me a great deal I should have taken, worst decision of my life, but I switched to Polaris. Mm. And that was the worst sled I ever raised. <laughs> was that the... The oh, the edge the pro x yeah okay horrible snowmobile the most unpredictable <laughs> race sled I've ever raced really I've, I've raced a nitro and a Yamaha nitro is a close second maybe maybe a toss up but horrible mm -hmm. yeah those next two years do we used to call the LCQ the players final did you make the players final or are you done <laughs> <laughs> like they saw it's it's funny like I've like I never got to ride one. I was too young, but like all the the really fast guys say the same thing. They're like that sled was was a pile in a lot of ways. I think I went through. I can't remember. My mechanic had called Dale. Eight or ten chassis I totaled that year. They would really? just fold up. They just twist, bend. They were yeah, yeah, rolling chassis. <laughs> I think yeah. I think they shipped me ten four forties that year, and I, they were all junk. I'd ride them like two races and go to the next one, pull another one out of the crate. Yeah, horrible, horrible. And so that that, were you that so good. I was just gonna say, like, were, were you run? Was it your own program? Like, was it a privateer no, effort? And you were on, getting help. Oh, I was okay. Factory. I was in Wausau. Gotcha. I was in Wausau. Okay. But yeah, they just they didn't. They just they kind of you know. Some of these manufacturers, Blutters is known for it. They rush stuff through production to be, you know, new, next. And that one just didn't. It was a bummer because before I signed, I asked a lot of questions. And I'm like, how's the new chassis? Like, I know it's different than what I raced. Moving to that new edge thing. Like, oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. Got a lot of test time on it. It's working great. I raced it the first time. And I'm like, you were kidding, right? Like nobody tested this thing. It's horrible. And even that, like, so I had a two year deal. And at the end of the first year, I begged Polaris to let me like give up on the, the nationals. Like, let mm -hmm. me go race. Like, what do we got coming down the pipe? Like I'm on a two year deal. I've got another year on the sled. Like what's next year's sled? Oh yeah. We've got a lot of time on it. I'm like, I want to ride it. Oh, you know, or, you know, I'm like, let me go take it out West. Like RMX, ERC, before Mountain West, RMXCRC had moved from cross country to snowcross. There was a big snowcross series mm -hmm. out west. I'm like, let me go race it out there. Like, if I win and get DQ'd, if it's a if it's a cheater sled, I'll get DQ'd every weekend. I don't care. But we got I, like, 
I want to win races. I can't make finals. I can't, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm fighting to get in a final and I went from battling Blair for a title. <clears throat> let me, like, let me help. Please let me help. Oh, you know, yeah, we've got the test riders. I'm like, I've lived in Roseau. I know your test riders. They don't ride like we do. So they wouldn't let me, they wouldn't let me go test a new sled. They told me that stuff was better. And then in the off season, they stole my mechanic from me and hired him for a semi-pro rider out from underneath me. Gave me a guy mm-hmm. who didn't know his ass from a hole in the ground. I got one podium the next year. So that was oh one oh two season. And I was done. I had no interest. I was like, nope. That ruined all my desire to be in the Midwest. I had gotten married. I had mm-hmm. a couple little kids. And I'm like, this is the dumbest thing. Like, yeah, I, I was so burnt and so frustrated with the way the programs were working. And, and Yamaha was kind of getting out of it. It looked mm-hmm. like they weren't going to do as much. Players didn't even offer me a deal. I didn't even hunt a cat or skidoo deal. I was just like, yeah, I think I've had my fun. I've been doing this a long time. You know, and my national snowcross career wasn't that long because well, I mm-hmm. raced the very first season. So I did all the years, but yeah, I was burnt. I'm like, I called my agent, which I got my agent from Doug Henry. Super cool guy. That's how I met him was through mm-hmm. Doug. He's like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, if somebody offers you, you know, a hundred grand to go race, give me a call Other than that. I think I'll do something different. So I retired. Mm-hmm. Didn't ride a snowmobile again for about seven years. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was just, I was going through the timeline and I'm like, <laughs> you know, he's, he's, it just, it doesn't make any sense. Like it yeah. basically just falls off. Like I, yeah. you know. So. I was over it. It's a lot of work. Okay. Like, you know, that's the thing that people don't understand. Like Dale, my mechanic, still a friend of mine today. I still hang out with Dale up. He's in McCall here. And he used to have a great line. Like our friends, we'd come back to town. Like, oh, it's the coolest job you ever. And he's like, looks good on TV. That one hour <laughs> show, you know. Yep. You know, the, the all-nighters, the 30-hour truck drives. the You know, back then, you know, that was a cool thing at Yamaha. We had a semi. It mm-hmm. was all flying. But players yep. days, truck and trailer, you know, you are the truck driver. You're the mechanic. You're, mm-hmm. the, you're the vehicle mechanic. You're the – I was telling somebody the other day, they were talking about, oh, you know, I pulled an all-nighter. I was tired. I'm like, dude, we raced in the Metrodome one night. Remember the Minneapolis Metrodome? Mm-hmm. I mean, downtown Minneapolis, there was an indoor race there. Yep. And so we left there. I think we got out of there about midnight. And uh, we had to be in Crandon. Wisconsin for the national snowcross the next morning, which is what oh, God. six hours, five six yeah, hour drive. That's I'm rough. Re- <laughs> I remember I was driving. Dale, we'd taken a couple turns. Like he started, and then I finished. I remember we pulled in the parking lot at the racetrack, the nationals, and it was like six thirty. Just leaned the seat back, took a nap till riders meeting at eight. Went racing. <laughs> safety nap in the seat of the truck you kind of you kind of compare it to like modern day factory moto versus like 90s where you basically got a box van (laughs) and that was your that that was your factory support was a box van so (laughs) that was us like you know like i said we started my first first deal was a wells cargo with behind the astro with jack by the time i quit i had a 48 foot gooseneck behind a you know a dually ford but they're still Mm -hmm. driving 
all nighters, oh, yeah. white knuckle, crappy roads. Yeah. <laughs> so by the time I was done, I'm like, eh, I'm good. Let me go home. And then everything's based in the Midwest, and I'm I'm not mm-hmm. from there, so it's tough. So I mean, you basically kind of sit back and just avoid the snowmobile racing scene for like seven or eight years. Like what you end up coming back, uh, early 2010s, kind of a cross country effort a little bit. Like what kind of pulls you back in after all those years? Well, it's one of those things like when I quit, Joe Duncan hired me. I was a race director on the national snowcross series for two years, three years after I quit Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. Bodley. We, I was basically the, the, track guy I was in charge of all the track calls track stuff mm-hmm. which was fun because oh, yeah. Joe and I are good friends I went to X Games forever like I announced at X Games a lot track commentating ran groomer a ton <clears throat> so I was still involved mm-hmm. but I just didn't want to ride and then mm-hmm. you know there's those days it's blue sky at X Games and tracks perfect like oh I kind of missed this and then it would sun would set and it'd be 10 below and I'm like no I don't I'm good I don't miss this at all <laughs> <laughs> so so literally, I had I got into sport bike racing for a few years, like 07, 08, 09. I raced sport bike a bunch, um, mm-hmm. just anything else. Raced moto quite a bit, and then Brian Strazel, who's still wrenching. I think he's Jacob Yurik's mechanic right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a my Yamaha guy. He was in. Okay. He was at Polaris. I met him. He was Greg Hyde's mechanic at Polaris, and then Yamaha hired him um, at when I was snowcrossing with him. And then Yamaha decided they wanted to go cross-country racing on that nitro chassis. Mm-hmm. And they, Brian calls me literally like, I stay in touch with him, but pretty much out of the blue, like 09, 10, 11, somewhere in there. And I, I have a landscape company that's floundering because the 08 economy's crashed. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to figure out what I'm going to do next. Like money's tight, economy's junk, whatever. Brian calls and says, hey, you want to come race cross country for us? And I'm like, you're kidding, right? Like I haven't raced across country. <laughs> I think at that point it was over 10 years. Yeah. But I did. I'd even race across country. And he's like, well, here's the deal. Like Yamaha really wants to make this nitro work, but everybody we hire wants to win. And this sled is not ready to win. And so they, they jump mm-hmm. ship, you know, two, three races in. So we can't get any development done. We're getting no testing. We're like, we get a guy, he's good. He can't win. He goes to Cat. He goes to players. He goes to, like, he leaves. So mm-hmm. I don't expect you to win, but come come give me feedback. Like, come ride this thing mm-hmm. and let's, let's work on it. Let's see if we can make it better. And I'm like, well, okay. Like, I go, here's the deal. Like, you pay my way from the time I leave my house here in Boise till I get back to Boise. He's like, we don't have any salary, but we can cover your expenses. I'm like, as long as it doesn't cost me money to go race for you, I'll go mm-hmm. help you. And so on that deal, I literally went to like my, my business was oh, like operating, but we weren't making any money. And so I went to mm-hmm. Western power where, where I know half those guys anyway, through my years and years of just being involved with that crowd. And I'm mm-hmm. in there telling them about this cross country deal and seeing if I can get a fly deal. Cause back then fly yep. had helmets, but no gear. Mm-hmm. And I called Kirk from HMK to get a gear deal. He sent me some gear and I called, I went to Western and I'm talking to those guys about a fly helmet deal and bitching about how crappy the economy was and <laughs> left with a helmet deal and a job. 
<laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> so I, I got a job offer while I was there and told them about this cross country deal and they agreed to let me go to all, go race whatever I needed to race. And so it turned out perfect. Like I got to go do development for Brian cross country racing and had a job at Western power working with fly and just kind of evolved from there and just kept, kept that ball rolling. So I raced cross country for two years, three years. I can't remember. And I'm like, well, until I never raced the, did I? I don't think I ever raced the Viper chassis cross country when they went to the cat deal. By that time I moved to Hill Climb. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I raced cross country a couple of years. That thing was going pretty good. They had that new front end kit that made that nitro unbelievably fast and work really well, but didn't qualify as stock. So it had to run an improved class. Uh, Ross Urban was fast. Uh, some of the kids were coming up were fast. And I'm like, let me go race Rimshaw. And Eric's mm-hmm. like, really? I'm like, yeah, I can drive to the races. I can take the fam. I've never raced a Rimshaw race in my life, but at least it's out West. And I can go help mm-hmm. those guys. Like, I'm a good shop tuner. Like, I have a good, like I said, I, I can understand what a sled's doing pretty well and provide good feedback. So, the next year, you let me go race Rimshaw with Troy and those guys hill climbing. So, <laughs> went and started working on that program. <laughs> God, there's, there's just, there's no stopping you. Like, even when you're burnt out, you're like, nah, I'm, I'm back into it. No, I was, can't I, help I've myself. I've been gone long enough. Like, so the cool thing was, you know, when Brian called me, he goes, come do this. Like, come help me out. And I go, you know what? My resume has been signed off for eight, nine, ten years. Like I don't need to even add anything to my resume. So I had nothing to prove, right? Like from some mm-hmm. old washed up dude, way older than all these kids that are going fast cross country racing. Um so the ego's gone. And now it's fun, right? Like it is mm-hmm. back then it was my job. There was pressure, like you had to be this is how you make your money, this is how I bought my first house, this is how I was raising my kids, like and now there's none, like zero pressure. So the, mm-hmm. the fun of snowmobile riding got to come back. And so, yeah, like I, I went to, I, the, the first year of that front end, I went to core, which was that Wisconsin cross country series. Cause yep. I, ISOC wouldn't let us race that front end. So Ross and I can't remember who was, they raced, they stayed in the ISOC series in, which then turned to USXC or yeah, USCC, which is USXC. Mm-hmm. Um, they stayed over there and I went to Wisconsin and won the title. Like, I think it was, what year was that? I was 40 something. <laughs> like, but yeah, so then it became fun. You know, then I went to Rimshaw and I get to race the 40 plus class, but there's only two of those. So I got to ride the pro class. So you can ride five classes in Rimshaw. So I'd ride three pro classes with all the boys and then two mm-hmm. 40 plus classes. Then X Games brings Hillcross back, right? For one year. Mm-hmm. And I was already hired to announce at X. So I, okay. had, I had announced, I had to announce Friday or Thursday and Friday. I'm in the booth and I didn't do TV commentating. I did on track, like live to the mm-hmm. crowd. Yep. And I, I'm like, dude, I, I guess I'm racing Saturday. So I'm not going to be able to announce Hillcross because I got to compete. <laughs> so I had to go race on saturday and then back in the booth on sunday and i'm like the like uh rob kincaid was only 
four or five months older than me. So I'm like the second oldest dude at Hillcross <laughs> and I get a bronze. There you go. You know, like it was, and then I'm back in the booth the next day and like, they're giving me crap. Like, did you bring your medal? Like in the booth, like talking <laughs> shit. And I've known all those guys. So I'm walking down, you know, the lodge down there where all the, the media guys are and, and Vince Castellano like waves me in. He's like, dude, you broke a record. I'm like this is even before Saturday. Right. And I'm like, what do you mm-hmm. mean? He's like, you have the longest delay between X games appearances like ever. <laughs> And I'm like, thanks, Vince. Appreciate yeah. that. Like, <laughs> like, how to say a guy's old without just saying, hey, you're old, dude. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I'd raced there, you know, in 02. And this was like mm. 2015. So it's like a 13-year gap between my appearances. Yep. <laughs> but it was cool because I got to take my kids, which are like, you know, not quite teenagers yet. They're at X Games and Aspen. I'm on the big screen announcing. I get a, I'm on the podium with a medal. like which I, I was done with my career before my kids ever, you know, were old enough to even know. So it was fun mm-hmm. to go back and do that. So, <clears throat> yeah, that was cool. So I rallied hill climbs until Yamaha pulled the plug or I'd probably still be climbing. Okay. Okay. So that ultimately is what kind of, again, seems like it's a common theme here, like throughout your entire story is like, Hey man, I don't want to spend a. T- I love racing. I don't want to spend <laughs> a ton of money doing it. If it if it makes sense and I can cover my costs, I'll do it. But if not, I'm I'm out. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've never had a lot of money, like ever. Like mm-hmm. I grew up really. My dad was a Forest Service dude. Like we skied because he was a patrolman, which means you get free season passes. So it's mm-hmm. like I never had that. And I, you know, I raced against a lot of guys whose families had money. <clears throat> and so for me, it was you better go fast and learn how to do this, or you're not you don't get to go. So when the money mm-hmm. got tight, like I just had to prioritize for me, it was like, I'm not, it's fun. Like I enjoy riding, but I'm not spending my money to go. I'm not spending my money to do this. I'll help. I'll spend your money, but I'm not spending my, <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, Rimshaw man. is un- unbelievable what it takes to go race competitively in the hill climbs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's a hundred dollars a class. In the pro class, you run five, so you're five hundred dollars a weekend in entry fees. Mod sleds are forty, fifty thousand dollars sleds. Improvers are, you know, thirty, forty thousand dollars sleds. Stalkers travel. It's it's unbelievable. So when Yamaha was funding that deal, I was in. Mm-hmm. But when they when they pulled the plug, I'm like, and you get so little seat time coming from cross country, where I had rides till I couldn't yeah. see straight to get five, you know, 40 second runs at the hill and no re-rides, like there's no practice laps. Like it's, it's a whole different sport, but I can tell you the most amazing mountain riding skill improvement ever known to man, go race Rimshaw. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff you'd look at on the mountain, like a day ride, look at it and go, yeah, we're not going to ride there. These guys put gates on it and they watch you and time you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's I've I've never been out west to be able to even to witness any hill climb, but I I've seen I've watched a lot of videos and I just it still scares the shit out of me even on a screen. And they'll do those will do you like and I mean it you've been around T V and you've been around snow, so you know they make they do no justice. Like none. Oh no. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I remember like the first year I'm climbing I'm looking at some of these hills like, why? Like why would we do this? Like why wouldn't we ride over there? Like that looks like a way better place to ride. You're putting gates mm-hmm. there, like just it's not. 
stuff you never, ever, ever would do. Like panel out, like literally throw a sled on its side on frozen dirt and side hill frozen dirt because there's gates and it's timed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, even so, that was super fun because we went from, you know, in hill climbs, you everybody gets to ride on Saturday and only the top 10 or 12 get a ride on Sunday in each class. And my first mm-hmm. year, I didn't ride on Sunday much, if at all. Mm-hmm. And my last year before Yamaha pulled the plug, uh, I think I missed. Well, for one of one a funny story, like the final race of the year, um, uh, Masters Mod, which is the forty plus class mod class, which is the only one I podiumed very often. In. Um, our mod players were were bitching, um, but mm-hmm. uh, the end of the race, like I come into the trailer and carry. Johnson was there and, and I come in and I am steaming mad like like I don't throw my equipment but I'm like at the edge of throwing a helmet mad like pissed because I missed Masters Mod final day by like two tenths I dabbed the foot and I missed getting to ride on Sunday by like two tenths and it was the end of the season and there had been some rumors that Yamaha was probably done so I figured I was probably one of my last that was probably my last race and I'm mad mad and then I start laughing and Carrie's like up in the front of the trailer. And she's like, you okay? <laughs> like, I go, do you know why I'm so mad, Carrie? And she's like, yeah, I don't think you made master's mod. And I go, I am that mad because I only qualified in four of my five classes. <laughs> and she's like, wow. And I go, do you remember when I couldn't qualify in any? And Yamaha wasn't qualifying mm-hmm. like, but, maybe one or two through the weekend. Like we're not really getting, you know, we're not up front. Like this, the sled was not that, not competitive. And we'd moved it to where mm-hmm. I was mad that I only got to ride four times on Saturday, not five. Mm-hmm. And then they pulled the plug. Yamaha's out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was a good one. That was pretty funny. Yeah. I only get to ride four times. <laughs> but yeah, when so... you're competitive, that's how it works. So throughout these years, you know, dabbling in the cross country stuff and, and rimshaw before you step away, there is a day job in the background at WPS. Oh, yeah. And you know, there's basically a jack of all trades for, for Western Power Sports. So <laughs> tell me like some of the some of the cool highlights of your of your years at WPS. Super cool. Like, you know, it was such a small company when I started there and, and I remember as a kid when I was racing in McCall, those early, early days, Western Power would come up and give gift certificates. So I could win mm-hmm. like 30 bucks to get a new belt. And so Western, you know, that's based out of Boise. It's been in Boise forever. Um, was a tiny snowmobile aftermarket company forever. You know, it started as Western Polaris. It was a Polaris distributor out West. And then Polaris pulled distribution back in house and it just could be him an aftermarket company. So the day I went to work there, I knew half the people. They were friends of mm-hmm. mine guys I worked with and the guy that hired me used to be he's kind of generation between my dad and I he used to watch my dad race his dad owned a John Deere dealership down east of here so it was just like this family and the guy that worked in the ATV department across the hall from me was in my wedding and so okay like a few weeks into I just left this landscape company right so a few weeks in Craig the owner was looking for um, a he had bought a skid steer. Still there? Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Oh, AirPods getting tired. He bought a skid <laughs> and he's wandering around and he's like, he's talking to Chris, to Chris and he's like, yeah, this skidster thing, I got to figure out how to run it. And Chris is like, Titus can run one. Comes walking around the corner. He's like, you can run a skidster? I'm like, yeah, what do you mean? Like, I've got thousands of hours in a skidster. Come here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, out the front door, cross parking lot to the track, like, help me run this thing. So from literally <laughs> that day on, I was track prep dude. So anytime there was track work to do, Craig would be like, track week. And I just look at Ron, who was my boss, like, guess I'll be gone for the week. I'll be in, I'll be out there. But yeah. so anything, you know, Craig owned the company. So whatever he needed, back and call. Yeah, then they found mm-hmm. out I had a CDL and like <clears throat> yeah, I mean it's once, you know, when Fly decided to sponsor Supercross, we bought three semis and had no drivers. Like, we should have thought about this, right? Craig's like, Well, you wanna drive? I'm like, No. I drove the first seven. <laughs> of of course. First season, yeah. Of course. So they, I, I switched jobs at that point because we'd started rail and, and I was kind of tired of the tech department. Done a lot of work with Fly Snow Apparel, which was cool because I'm hill climbing and I could develop and, you know, bring Fly Snow Apparel way further forward. Got some new guys in design, but I was pretty burnt, burnt out. So I was looking for this new job. So Fly Designs to sponsor Supercross. So I created a logistics manager job propose it and craig bought it so i was in charge of the semis uh hiring trucks drivers moving trucks around the country for supercross and then we had like sedona tire and wheel rigs and fly rigs Mm -hmm. snow snowmobile rigs and stuff and so my job kind of when i left the snow department turned into that but the first year i could i got two guys hired and didn't have a third so i drove the first seven supercrosses and then I got a guy hired and then he got fired. So I drove like the next three. Yeah. And so, I mean, literally, literally everything. Craig had called me like, Hey, like we're doing track prep this week. Okay. So I'd be in a dozer for a week and I'd be in the new warehouse, built a new 50,000 or hundred thousand square foot warehouse off the back and had to move like marketing back in there and logistics stuff and semis and heydays. And I mean, motocross the nation, I got to do that a couple of times and, Daytona Bike Week. I've driven a semi from Boise to Daytona and back. That was fun. Mm. Like, guys would call, like, Krocek was, had to go back to work, and he was in Boston. So I flew to Boston, mm-hmm. drove the semi from Boston back to Denver and Salt Lake at the end of the Supercross season. Like, So I got to do everything. <clears throat> the rail program, brought the mm-hmm. rail program on board, and that kind of became my other job. Was My jobs were basically rail and and trucking so mm-hmm. thousands of hours on a rail kit truly you know hundreds hundreds of laps we got that thing set up to where i could run it on the motocross track with a front tire that's where oh, we did nice so much of our durability testing was on the motocross track out back like go prep the track put a bunch of bogey wheels in there and thing and just go out there and break it go out there and break it go out there and break it and then until i couldn't break it that's when we finally went to production is when we couldn't break it <laughs> so yeah i mean super fun to go back in that development that mindset of how to make it better how do we fix this i enjoy that yeah and that and that rail program like you know the the snow bike market is what it is it's it's not massive by any no. means but it's it's tough to to kind of differentiate between everybody like there's there's yeah. kind of a 
a way to do it and that's just kind of how it's been but that that rail program with that with that suspension and that linkage like that that's still really really cool to this day it's still really unique it's a it's it's an amazing piece and it really is like i got to ride it the first time the inventor vernal he's the original radix guy the two moto way way back the original snow bike is the two moto snow bike kit that's vernal mm-hmm. forbes he invented that right here in outside of Boise and Nampa, that's where he was at. So when he started that, he bought bogey wheels, high facts, all that stuff from Western Power. He's a local. And mm-hmm. then the economy crashed and that kind of went sideways and he had this other patent. So he, he wandered into the snow department like in 17, I think it was, and was talking to Ron, Ben Singer. And Ron's like, well, Nathan's, because we just picked up Camso, Western Power, that yep. Camso kit had come out and we were distributing those. And those really cool in deep snow but the suspension was horrible and so i've been riding one of those all year testing and like developing on that thing just trying to figure out what snow bikes were about and he wanders in and says hey like i've got this new kit we've garage built it this patent i'm working on the patent but it's a totally different style of kit and ron's like nathan will ride it looks at me he's like go ride this thing like, okay so we set up a date it's late spring go up to Idaho city and i ride this thing and like I said, I've been on the Camso kit all winter and ridden a couple of timber sleds mm-hmm. and some different stuff. Day one on that rail kit, I'm like, holy cow, this is a totally different beast. This is like riding mm-hmm. a dirt bike. It felt like a dirt bike. Like I could wheelie stuff. I could rear wheel tap like whoops. I could like wheelie across the road. Um, and I'm that stuff you just couldn't do on a Camso kit or a timber sled at that time. And mm-hmm. I was like, dude, this thing's cool. So I went back and told Craig about it and we chatted and, and I'm like, don't take my, I mean, you can't buy this patent or this company based on my word. Like that's retarded, but I think it's something we should like pursue. So Craig copped the money to build, I think we built 10 of them the next year to get other people to mm-hmm. ride them. And the thing was exactly what we thought it was. It had some weak points that we you know, started fighting, but in the snow, I could never break one. I could break one mm-hmm. in one lap on a motor track. I knew how to break it. What it didn't like. Big square edge hits, I could break it. Mm-hmm. And so we went through that first season and then decided to ramp up production and and built a few more the next year, but we were still not like Craig had the story of the old wet jet. You ever heard of wet jet? Oh yeah. So the wet jet story, Western was a distributor. And the first year Craig could tell you numbers off the top of his head. He's like, We sold three hundred and fifty four of those things. They blew out of here. They were amazing. They all broke. Over the winter, WetJet made a better one. The next year, we sold like 50, and the next year, WetJet's out of business. We're not going to be mm-hmm. WetJet. So don't put this thing out in production until it's reliable. So we beat the living crap out of it. Tons of hours on the moto track until I could not. Our latest kit, the, the first year of production, I quit before the bike did on the track. I was I was doing some I was shorting stuff I was coming up short to try to break it to the point that like knees and ankles were I'm I'm 45 at the time like this isn't easy and the bike wouldn't break and I was like let's do this so the only problem with rail is marketing it's never mm-hmm. been pushed it's a cool piece of equipment it's cool enough that old Alan Megum snuck a ride with us wouldn't tell anybody who he was ended up on one of my rides. One of his buddies finally threw him under the bus and told me who he was. He wouldn't take his helmet off, mm. but he rode the rail kit before Mountaintop was building the kit. 
mm. and was was stunned. He admitted how cool it was and how different it was to his timber sled. And I and I told him mm-hmm. straight up what I told other people. If you're the kind of guy that wants to put a giant padded seat and a two gallon gas can and hand warmers and a butt warmer and sit on the seat and go exploring for a hundred miles a day, don't buy the rail kit. But if you're mm-hmm. a kid that wants to wheelie through the woods and like wheel tap stuff and jump creeks and like stand on the foot pegs and ride it like a dirt bike, this is the kit. They're not the same. They don't work the same. They're not the same riders. I did hundreds of test rides and I had people that didn't like it, but they were dudes that wanted to sit in the seat and just putt through the trees. And when you're doing that, it doesn't do anything cool. It's not, it's not, doesn't, it's not better than a timber sled to do that. I'm like, get your arrow mm-hmm. and go ride all day. But that's how I, I had a, I had a line. It was like, what kind of rider are you? When you buy a snow bike, is the first thing you buy a giant padded seat or better foot pegs? If you're the seat guy, mm-hmm. don't get the rail. <laughs> I go, because we don't even put padded seats on our rail kits because you don't sit down. You stand up. You ride it with your chin over the bars and you stand on the foot pegs and you ride it like a dirt bike. <laughs> so different, different program. Oh, it's funny. He rode the thing across the top on this crusty snow and he get down on this bowl. It's pretty funny. And I didn't know who he was at the time. And I, I, he sounded familiar and he was super knowledgeable, but I know who Alan is, but I don't like, we're not acquaintances. Mm-hmm. I've met probably once or twice over the last 20 years. And yep. so with his helmet and his ball of cloth and like everything on and he gets down, he's like, yeah, I was, I was riding across the hill up there and there was like a, a bump in the, in the snow and I just rode through it and it, it kicked pretty hard. And I go, were you sitting down? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and I go, on your dirt bike, because you ride dirt bike, right? He's like, yeah, I ride dirt bike a lot. I go, would you hit that sitting down on your dirt bike? And he goes, answer my question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you know, it works like your dirt bike. You're not going to like just seat balance a little square edge or like one foot tall bump on the trail. You're going to stand up and let the bike do the work. So, yeah, tons of fun, like. Pretty cool, pretty cool experience. So I want to transition into uh, one of our reoccurring segments here, Nathan. So formerly the Pick Your Poison segment, rebranded to the Woody's Would You Rather segment. I'm going to give you... Which is super fitting because the only traction company I ever was sponsored by was Woody's. Well, there you go. There you go. There you go. You heard it here first. Nathan Titus running Wood... Running Woody's, almost winning a Pro Open championship over Blair Morgan using Woody's. Nathan I won Titus. a Pro Open title on Woody's. Ah, was, yeah, all right. We were sponsored by Woody's when I was at Polaris, yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So, okay, yeah. I'm going to give you I'm gonna give you two, uh, two scenarios that neither of them are ideal, and okay. you have to pick one, which one you'd rather do, and you have to justify it. All right. So, would you rather race a cross-country race on a 163 – or race a hill climb on a 121? Oh, hill climb on a 121, no doubt. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're, <laughs> don't want I mean, to drive a bus through the woods? Well, the hard part, they won't live. Those 163s, mm-hmm. those long rails are just, they'll bend. They're just, those chassis and those sleds are just, they won't go through there. With the 121, I, you know, some of these guys started racing those. Garth Kaufman and stuff were racing snowcross sleds mm-hmm. and some of these hill climbs. And, and some of the ski hill ones, the, the snow cross sled was faster. So, yeah, I would take mm-hmm. the 121 for sure. 
you rather race a snowcross race with stock skis or a cross country race with stock suspension? Stock skis. Yeah. Stock suspension would be yeah. unrideable. <laughs> you could go fast <laughs> with stock skis, but you're not going fast with stock suspension. <laughs> it's fair. It's fair. Yeah. I like these though. This is uh, no hand warmers or no pit coat. Ooh. And, and again, well, like you're racing Valcor or somewhere that's really cold where it actually matters. You're talking to a guy that was, has actually raced back in the day when we didn't have either. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'd have to take, given an opportunity, I can I can survive without the pit coat, but the hand warmers are super helpful if they work. Yeah, if they work. And if you're on the track long enough. If it's yeah, a, I mean, if it's a five it, minute heat, you're never going to feel it. <laughs> that's part of the problem. Like, you know, I, the fun part of being at fly was getting to develop some gear, like windproof jerseys mm-hmm. and windproof gloves that we never had. Like we didn't have hand guards. Mm-hmm. We tried to put hand guards on snow cross sleds and they always broke. No, we had figured out the plastic mount yet. So like my hands are still to this day ruined from being frozen. Yeah. Like, like no hand warmers, no hand guards, chintzy gloves. Yeah, we got to do it all. Brutal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, next next one. So, for an entire race, would you rather have wet gloves or wet socks? Wet socks. Oh yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't need my feet to hang on. If you can't hang I, on, you can't you're done. You're done. I don't know, man. I'm thinking of like, you know, you get wet gloves, the air is going to make them cold. You got one finger on the brake, your finger is going to freeze, you're going to lose control. I, I don't know. I may have to be the sock guy. I'm not sure. That's what I say. Yeah. I go wet socks. Yeah. No way. Wet yeah. gloves. Yeah. Wet gloves are done. <laughs> wet socks. Fine. I don't need, I'll, the feet will come back later in the shower. <laughs> I've been there. Last That's one. That's something I've done too. So brutal. Last one for you uh race a a super warm race so it's like really sticky wet snow with no tear-offs or a cold race and again this we're thinking modern because i know you're going to tell me you've done (laughs) this a million times (laughs) like warm race with no tear-offs or a cold race without anti-fog goggles i i would go with the warm race and the slush it's easier to wipe yeah you can still you can still wipe with a glove but if you can't see through fog, like you're, you're done. Hmm. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Visibility is everything. And yeah, I mean the slushy races and a lot of times even with tear offs, you know, they'll last for a while on a slushy race, but they usually get water behind them even and you're wiping. So that one's doable. The fogged goggles though, you're done. Yeah. When I was, when I raced, when I raced snow cross, I wore, I wore triple nine for years and you know, they were, Oh, did you? Yeah, that was yeah, that was I was on that program a bunch. Yeah, it was. So I had an F two carbon, and the F two carbon and the triple nines, they just they fit Money. so good. So yeah, so I never had a problem. And then like one one round, I had to uh, use some different goggles that were basically moto goggles, but the only clear ones I had. <laughs> so I I knew it wasn't gonna work, but it was the only clear ones I had. And it was nighttime. Yeah. Oh God, it was terrible. horrible, absolutely awful. Yep, yep, <laughs> yeah. That's those are fun. So I'll do just a, just a couple more questions for you here uh, before we wrap up. But, you know, you've had a lot of teammates over the years through your various disciplines in racing. Who's the fastest teammate you think you've ever had? 
in snowcross or just the fastest dude I know? I mean, cross country. I'll, I'll leave I mean, it. I'll leave Henry it open to anything. I had okay. a, I had a not, Doug Henry not, not a moto guy. <laughs> okay. So I mean that that's, that one's tough because it's Doug Henry. Like the cool thing is like the year he raced snowcross, he showed up with a number one plate. He just won the outdoor nationals. Like we got mm-hmm. to watch outdoor nationals and then Doug's in the trailer. I'm like that's that's Doug Henry. Wasn't so mm-hmm. fast on a snowcross sled, but he was he was probably the coolest coach I ever had. Um, oh man, teammate, fastest teammate. Man, I was, you know, I got to race with some fast guys. And when we we're doing, you know, mm-hmm. Polaris era, we raced cross country and snowcross. So I had like a Corey Davidson teammate. Mm-hmm. But then I had like, man, that's a really good question. That's not easy. Yeah, it's it's tough. You got you got a lot of fast guys. You, even going back to like your first couple rounds when yeah. you were basically a three a three man team. Yeah, I mean like... Jack Struthers was my teammate. So cross country wise, <laughs> yeah. Jack was no questions asked the fastest guy I ever raced with. But, uh, yeah, snowcross. Bitsky was you know Carl Shabitsky was fast for sure, and then his career continued on. Snowcross probably Carl. Uh, mm-hmm. Cross country. Jack. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Not gonna not yeah. gonna throw Chris Vincent in there. I know he was a bruiser, but he was fast. Chris was fast, but yeah, I mean just a just a bulldog style. So yeah. and, and he yep. he went fast, but he, I don't yeah, I mean probably overall speed. I guess it depends because Chris kinda retired and and Carl carried on, so mm-hmm. and I was teammates with Carl on Yamaha and Polaris's, so Yep. Yeah, I, that, that, that's that's a tough one. You know, Chris was definitely a fast teammate, but Carl was probably more consistently fast. I don't know. That's yeah. There you go. No answer. <laughs> Somewhere in there. Perfect. So yeah. through all the years of all the of all the super trick sleds, or even if we want to count rail too, of all the trick just pieces of kit that you've been able to ride, what's the coolest machine you think you've ever ridden? Uh, my mod, my 97 mod snowcross sled was a beast. 797 twin, uh, light switch horsepower wise, but not so naturally aspirated, you know, carb motor. Uh, mm-hmm. my hill climb Yamahas were the neatest, were the gnarliest thing I've ever ridden in my life. Yeah. Like unbelievable horsepower. Unbelievable. Like, like I had a 210 horsepower pump gas practice sled. And so I'd mm-hmm. ride on that to, to practice and work, you know, ride on during the week when I got to ride. <clears throat> and then I'd go mm-hmm. jump on my mod sled for the weekends and on just giggle like a little school girl in my helmet. <laughs> Gnarly. So that year at Aspen, I think Speedworks figured that Simon sled was somewhere pushing 300 horse and mm-hmm. ours wasn't much off that <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome <laughs> like, yeah like holy cow rocket ships so since you struggled for the the teammate one this one i'll be interested to see if you're able to pick a guy but if we take like if we take tucker out of the equation even though he's just a snowcross guy but if we take tucker out of the equation who's the fastest 
snowmobile racer to ever come out of Idaho? Well, there's a fleet of them. You got the whole Crapo clan. Oh, yeah. You mm-hmm. got Kirk. You got Jack. Uh, well, I'd have to say me, but that would be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, the Sean Crapo was unbelievable. Um, Colby was fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they came in such a different era, you know, where oh, I, yeah. I, I've always been, I've always looked back on my career and gotten to, to smile a little bit. Cause I came from cross country is the big sport. And we all sat down, Tony hiking and showed up and made us like jump big jumps. Cause we didn't want to. And he's like, well, we got to, if you want to keep up. And so I got mm-hmm. to move into that whole era, like learning how to do big doubles, chasing Tony. And then Blair shows up and moves the, the game again. And we all had to learn how to ride that style. And then, I raced against Tucker and had to learn that game. And so I've, the, the sport has changed so much during mm-hmm. my era that it's like comparing myself to like the Crapos. I mean, Curtis and I raced a lot together in, in the same style, but you know, the Colby, Colby and Sean era is such a different era. Those guys were super fast, but I think in our, in our era, you know, Jack by far until he retired. Mm-hmm. And then I probably carried the torch until the Crapos. David Brown, like, man. Well, and even the fact, like, if you want to, if you want to open up the door <laughs> to like hill climb guys that are from Idaho, oh, dude, if you want to, yeah. you know, you know, like, yeah, it's... <laughs> that, that world. Yeah. It's not even fair. Cause those guys, there's a ton of them, but mm-hmm. yeah, I would say the Crapos, one of those, the younger kids would be the fastest snow crosser. But man, it's it's so hard to compare the eras, because Kirk was, it was Kirk, Kirk and Jack mm-hmm. battled. Oh, these are great questions. I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna put a crapo. I'm just there's that that clan covers so many areas that you're hard to beat a crapo at some point. <laughs> oh, for sure, for yeah. sure. I uh, I messaged uh, I messaged Sean a while back. I never heard, but I would I would love to do an episode with Sean Crapo. That yeah. would be super sick. Yeah, that whole clan, Curtis, Sean, you know, I got to race with pretty much all of them. Well, until the younger ones kind of took over. But, yeah, those kids were coming up when I was – I mean, I, I ran into Curtis last year and BS with him forever. And Dave, their dad, like mm-hmm. great, great family. But they, they made some fast kids out of eastern Idaho. For sure. For sure. Yeah, so, great So, I mean, questions. last one, su- super easy one for you. But what are you up to these days, Nathan? What what are we up to? So I left Western, decided it was time to go back on my own, uh, moved back to McCall. So I'm living back at home in McCall, the wife and I. She's got a little business going up here that she's starting. And uh, I've always been in construction, so I offered my part-time services to my buddy up here who's building way too many, way too many high-end houses. And that turned into an over-full-time job. So I'm now basically superintendent on two or three retarded builds like we're talking <laughs> millions of dollars what people build up here now so we just gutted a, a seven thousand square footer down at tamarack resort we're adding a two thousand square foot basement underneath it with a bowling alley and an elevator so it'll be about ten thousand when we're done um yeah just some crazy there's so much money moving to this part of town or this part of the valley that he kind of talked me into helping him run some jobs and yeah that's no building houses. 
it's all these uh it's, it's all these it's all these damn people that just discovered that idaho is super cool and now they want to move there right well yeah with what's what's really happened is you know like jackson hole's gotten so expensive and aspen and you know tahoe mm-hmm. and those places and so with tamarack and brundage like it's this resort town that's kind of been undiscovered and i mean the prices from what i grew up you know living here my whole life and seeing what things are selling for now it's unbelievable but they just keep coming and it's just it's crazy it's just crazy what what people will spend money on and how much money Mm -hmm. they'll spend to be in to be in the mountains which is cool because you know my dad bought 12 acres here in the 60s that we still have and (laughs) it's worth significantly more than it was but it's just a nice little place to come hide out and and I, I finally got to go play riding last year. My last, last year was the first year mm-hmm. I bought a mountain sled and I rode the crap out of it in the mountains. Oh, that's awesome. Had a ton of fun rallying some pretty cool stuff. <clears throat> so yeah, nice. back, back home. Cool. Kids are graduated. Cool. They're on their own and we're, we're, uh, playing back in the mountains. <laughs> Love to hear it. Love yeah. to hear it. Well, we can uh, we can wrap it up for you then, Nathan. I am an hour and fifty one minutes into my one hour podcast, so oh, I, sorry about I that. really <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all good, man. I'm just here for the stories, no matter how long it takes. Nathan Titus on the Carbide Podcast. What a story Nathan has. As I said in our discussion, it really is almost arbitrary how a lot of these major career milestones happened for him. He had to have the talent to show out when he got on the sled, but to hear that many of his decisions weren't planned out in advance and it was a chance opportunity that he capitalized on, it makes his career even more impressive. Big thanks again to Nathan for his time. There are a ton of stories packed into his career, so I'm glad we were able to make it happen. Thanks again to Woody's Traction for their support. The show is going to be getting a lot cooler in the next coming months, thanks to those guys. Thanks again to you listeners. The growth this last month has been insane. Glad you guys are enjoying it. Be sure to check out the social channels and the merch site if you want to support the channel even more. And as always, take care.